Chapter Twenty Five of the Fortunes of Glencore. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Fortunes of Glencore by Charles James Lever. Chapter Twenty Five. A Duke and His Minister. In this age of the world when everybody has been everywhere seen everything and talked with everybody It may savor of an impertinence if we ask of our reader if he has ever been at Massa It may so chance that he has not and if so as assuredly has he yet an untasted pleasure before him Now to be sure Massa is not as it once was the little duchy whose capital is formed has been united to a large estate the distinctive features of a metropolis and the residence of a sovereign prince are gone the life and stir and animation which surround a court have subsided grass-grown streets and deserted squares replace the busy movement of former days a dreamy weariness seems to have fallen over everyone as though life offered no more prizes for exertion and that the day of ambition was set for ever yet are there features about the spot which all the chances and changes of political fortune cannot touch dynasties may fall and thrones crumble but the eternal apennines will still rear their snow-clad summits towards the sky along the vast plain of ancient olives the perfumed wind will still steal at evening and the blue waters of the mediterranean Plash lazily among the rocks over which the myrtle and the arbutus are hanging There amidst them all half hid in clustering vines Bathed in soft odors from orange groves with plashing fountains glittering in the Sun and foaming streams gushing from the sides of marble mountains there stands Massa ruined decayed and deserted but beautiful in all its desolation and fairer to gaze on than many a scene where the tide of human fortune is at the flood as you wander there now passing the deep arch over which hundreds of feet above you the ancient fortress frowns and enter the silent streets you would find it somewhat difficult to believe how a very few years back this was the brilliant residence of a court the gay resort of strangers from every land of Europe that showy equipages traverse these weed-grown squares and high-born dames swept proudly beneath these leafy alleys hard indeed to fancy the glittering throng of courtiers the merry laughter of light-hearted beauty beneath these trellised shades where moodily and slow some solitary figure now steals along pondering sad thoughts over the bygone but a few a very few years ago and Massa was in the plenitude of its prosperity the revenues of the state were large more than sufficient to have maintained all that such a city could require and nearly enough to gratify every caprice of a prince whose costly tastes range over every theme and found in each a pretext for reckless expenditure he was one of those men whom nature having gifted largely takes out the compensation by a disposition of instability and fickleness that renders every acquirement valueless he could have been anything orator poet 
artist soldier statesman and yet in the very diversity of his abilities there was that want of fixity of purpose that left him ever short of success till he himself wearied by repeated failures distrusted his own powers and ceased to exert them such a man under the hard pressure of a necessity might have done great things as it was born to a princely station and with a vast fortune he became a reckless spendthrift a dreamy visionary at one time an enthusiastic dilettante at another there was not a scheme of government he had not eagerly embraced and abandoned in turn he had attracted to his little capital all that europe could boast of artistic excellence and as suddenly he had thrown himself into the most intolerant zeal of papal persecution denouncing every species of pleasure and ordaining a more than monastic self-denial and strictness there was only one mode of calculating what he might be which was by imagining the very opposite to what he then was extremes were his delight and he undulated between austrian tyranny and democratic licentiousness in politics just as he vacillated between the darkest bigotry of his church and open infidelity at the time when we desire to present him to our readers the exact year is not material he was fast beginning to weary of the interregnum of asceticism and severity he had closed theatres and suppressed all public rejoicings and for an entire winter he had sentenced his faithless subject to the unbroken sway of the priest and the friar a species of rule which had banished all strangers from the duchy and threatened by the injury to trade the direst consequences to his capital to have brought the question formally before him in all its detail would have ensured the downfall of any minister rash enough for such daring there was indeed but one man about the court who had courage for the enterprise and to him we would devote a few lines as we pass he was an englishman named stubber he had originally come out to italy with horses for his highness and been induced by good offers of employment to remain he was not exactly stable groom nor trainer nor was he of the dignity of master of the stables but he was something whose attributes included a little of all and something more one thing he assuredly was a consummately clever fellow who could apply all his native yorkshire shrewdness to a new sphere and make of his homespun faculties the keen intelligence by which he could guide himself in novel and difficult circumstances a certain freedom of speech with a bold hardihood of character based it is true upon a conscious sense of honor had brought him more than once under the notice of the prince his highness felt such pleasure in the outspoken frankness of the man that he frequently took opportunities of conversing with him and even asking his advice never deterred by the subject whatever it was stubber spoke out his mind and by the very force of strong native sense and the unswerving power of determination soon impressed his master that his best counsels were to be had from the yorkshire jockey and not from the decorated and gilded throng who filled the antechambers to elevate the groom to the rank of personal attendant to create him a chevalier and then a count were all easy steps to such a prince at the time we speak of 
Stubber was chief of the cabinet, the trusted adviser of his master in knottiest questions of foreign policy, the arbiter of the most difficult points with other states, the highest authority in home affairs, and the absolute ruler over the duke's household and all who belonged to it. He was one of those men of action who speedily distinguish themselves wherever the game of life is being played. Smart to discern the character of those around him, prompt to avail himself of their knowledge, little hampered by the scruples which conventionalities impose on men bred in a higher station, he generally attained his object before others had arranged their plans to oppose him. To these qualities he added a rugged, unflinching honesty, and a loyal attachment to the person of his prince. Strong in his own conscious rectitude, and in the confiding regard of his sovereign, Stubber stood alone against all the wiles and machinations of his formidable rivals. Were we giving a history of this curious court and its intrigues, we could relate some strange stories of the mechanisms by which states are ruled. We have, however, no other business with the subject than as it enters into the domain of our own story, and to this we return. It was a calm evening of the early autumn, as the prince, accompanied by Stubber alone, and unattended by even a groom, rode along one of the alleys of the olive wood, which skirts the seashore beneath Massa. His highness was unusually moody and thoughtful, and as he sauntered carelessly along, seemed scarcely to notice the objects about him. "'What month are we in, Stubber?' asked he at length. "'September, Alteza,' was the short reply. Per bacco, so it is. And in this very month we were to have been in Bohemia with the Archduke Stephen. The best shooting in all Europe, and the largest stock of pheasants in the whole world, perhaps. And I, that love field sports as no man ever loved them, eh, Stubber? And he turned abruptly round to seek a confirmation of what he asserted. Either Stubber did not fully agree with the judgment, or did not deem it necessary to record his concurrence, but the prince was obliged to reiterate his statement, adding, I might say, indeed, it is the one solitary dissipation I have ever permitted myself. Now this was a stereotyped phrase of his highness, and employed by him respecting music, literature, field sports, picture-buying, equipage, play, and a number of other pursuits not quite so pardonable in each of which, for the time, his zeal would seem to be exclusive. A scarcely audible ejaculation, a something like a grunt from Stubber, was the only assent to the proposition. And here I am, added the prince testily, the only man of my rank in Europe, perhaps, without society, amusement, or pleasure, condemned to the wearisome details of a petty administration, and actually a slave, yes, sir, I say, a slave. What the deuce is this? My horse is sinking above his pasterns. Where are we, Stubber? And with a vigorous dash of the spurs, he extricated himself from the deep ground. I often told your highness that these lands were ruined for want of drainage. You may remark how poor the trees are along here. The fruit, too, is all deteriorated, all for want of a little skill and industry. And, if your highness remark the appearance of the people in that village, every second man has the egg on him. They did look wretched, 
and why is it not drained why isn't everything done as it ought stubber eh why isn't your highness in bohemia want of means my good stubber no money my man landelli tells me the coffer is empty and until this new tax on the colza comes in we shall have to live on our credit or our wits i forget which but i conclude they are about equally productive landelli is a ladro said stubber he has money enough to build a new wing to his chateau in seravezza and to give fifty thousand scudi of fortune to his daughter though he can't afford your highness the common necessities of your station per bacco billy you are right you must look into these accounts yourself they always confuse me i have looked into them and your highness shall have two hundred thousand francs tomorrow on your dressing-table and as much more within the week well done billy you are the only fellow who can unmask these rogueries if i had only had you with me long ago well 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 it is too late to think of it what shall we do with this money bohemia is out of the question now shall we rebuild the san felice it is really too small the stage is crowded with twenty people on it there's that gate towards carrara when is it to be completed there's a figure wanted for the centre pedestal and as for the fountain it must be done by the municipality it is essentially the interest of the townspeople you'd advise me to spend the money in draining these lowlands or in a grant to that new company for a pier at marina but i'll not i have other thoughts in my head why should not this be the centre of art to the whole peninsula Carrara is a city of sculptors why not concentrate their efforts here by a gallery i have myself some glorious things the best group canova ever modelled the original ariadne too far finer than the thing people go to see at frankfort then there's tanderini shepherd with the goats who lives yonder stubber what a beautiful garden it is and he drew up short in front of a villa whose grounds were terraced in a succession of gardens down to the very margin of the sea plants and shrubs of other climates were mingled with those familiar to italy making up a picture of singular beauty by diversity of colour and foliage isn't this the ombretta stubber yes altezza but the morelli have left it it is let now to a stranger a french lady some call her english i believe to be sure i remember there was a demand about a formal permission to reside here landelli advised me not to sign it that she might turn out english or have some claim upon england which was quite equivalent to placing the duchy and all within under the blessed thing they call british protection there are worse things than even that muttered stubber british occupation perhaps you mean well you may be right at all events i did not take landelli's advice for i gave the permission and i have never heard more of her she must be rich i take it see what order this place is kept in that conservatory is very large indeed and the orange trees are finer than ours they seem very fine indeed said stubber i say sir that we have none such at the palace i'll wager a zecchino they have come from naples and look at that magnolia i tell you stubber this garden is very far superior to ours your highness has not been in the palace gardens lately perhaps i was there this morning 
and they are really in admirable order i'll have a peep inside of these grounds stubber said the duke who no longer attentive to the other only followed out his own train of thought at the same instant he dismounted and without giving himself any trouble about his horse made straight for a small wicket which lay invitingly open in front of him the narrow skirting of copse passed the duke at once found himself in the midst of a lovely garden laid out with consummate skill and taste and offering at intervals the most beautiful views of the surrounding scenery although much of what he beheld around him was the work of many years there were abundant traces of innovation and improvement some of the statues were recently placed and a small temple of grecian architecture seemed to have been just restored a heavy curtain hung across the doorway drawing back which the duke entered what he at once perceived to be a sculptor's studio casts and models lay carelessly about and a newly begun group stood enshrouded in the wetted drapery with which artists clothed their unfinished labors no mean artist himself the duke examined critically the figures before him nor was he long in perceiving that the artist had committed more than one fault in drawing and proportion this is amateur work he said to himself and yet not without cleverness and a touch of genius too your dilettante scorns anatomy and will not submit to drudgery hence there are muscles incorrectly developed and their action ill-expressed so saying he sat down before the model and taking up one of the tools at his side began to correct some of the errors in the work it was exactly the kind of task for which his skill adapted him too impatient and too discursive to accomplish anything of his own he was admirably fitted to correct the faults of another and so he worked away vigorously totally forgetting where he was how he had come there and as utterly oblivious of stubber whom he had left without growing more and more interested as he proceeded he arose at length to take a better view of what he had done and standing some distance off exclaimed aloud per bacco i have made a good thing of it there's life in it now so indeed is there quite a gentle voice behind him and turning he beheld a young and very beautiful girl whose dress was covered by the loose blouse of a sculptor how i thank you for this said she blushing deeply as she curtsied before him i have had no teaching and never till this moment knew how much i needed it and this is your work then said the duke who had turned again towards the model well there is promise in it there is even more still you have hard labor before you if you would be really an artist there is a grammar in these things and he would speak the tongue must get over the declensions i know but little myself oh do not say so cried she eagerly i feel that i am in a master's presence the duke started partly struck by the energy of her manner in part by the words themselves it is often difficult for men in his station to believe that they are not known and recognized and so he stood wondering at her and thinking who she could be that did not know him to be the prince you mistake me said he gently and with that dignity which is the birthright of those born to command i am but a very indifferent artist i have studied a little it is true but other pursuits and idleness have swept away the small knowledge i once possessed and left me as to art 
pretty much as I am in morals. That is, I know what is right, but very often I can't accomplish it. You are from Carrara, I conclude, said the young girl timidly, still curious to hear more about him. Pardon me, said he, smiling. I am a native of Massa and live here. And you are not a sculptor by profession? asked she, still more eagerly. No, said he, laughing pleasantly. I follow a more precarious trade, nor can I mould the clay I work in so deftly. At least you love art, said she, with an enthusiasm heightened by the changes he had effected in her group. Now it is my turn to question, signorina, said he gaily. Why, with a talent like yours, have you not given yourself to regular study? You live in a land where instruction should not be difficult to obtain. Carrara is one vast studio. There must be many there who would not alone be willing, but even proud to have such a pupil. Have you never thought of this? I have thought of it, said she pensively. But my aunt, with whom I live, desires to see no one, to know no one, even now, added she, blushing deeply. I find myself conversing with an utter stranger, in a way... She stopped, overwhelmed with confusion, and he finished her sentence for her, in a way which shows how naturally a love of art establishes a confidence between those who profess it. As he spoke, the curtain was drawn back, and a lady entered, who, though several years older, bore such a likeness to the young girl that she might readily have been taken for her sister. "'It is at length time I should make my excuses for this intrusion, madame,' said he, turning towards her, and then in a few words explained how the accidental passing by the spot and the temptation of the open wicket had led him to a trespass, which,' added he, smiling, "'I can only say I shall be charmed if you will condescend to retaliate.' I, too, have some objects of art, and gardens which are thought worthy of a visit. We live here, sir, apart from the world. It is for that reason we have selected this residence, replied she, coldly. I shall respect your seclusion, madame, answered he with a deep bow, and only beg once more to tender my sincere apologies for the past. He moved towards the door as he spoke. The ladies curtsied deeply, and with a still lowlier reverence he passed out. The Duke lingered in the garden as though unwilling to leave the spot. For a while some doubt as to whether he had been recognised passed through his mind, but he soon satisfied himself that such was not the case, and the singularity of the situation amused him. "'I am culling a souvenir, madame,' said he, plucking a moss-ross as the lady passed. "'I will give you a better one, sir,' said she, detaching one from her bouquet and handing it to him. And so they parted. Per Bacco, Stubber, I have seen two very charming women. They are evidently persons of condition. Find out all about them and let me hear it tomorrow. And so saying, his highness rode away, thinking pleasantly over his adventure and fancying a hundred ways in which it might be amusingly carried out. The life of princes is rarely fertile in surprises. Perhaps, therefore, the uncommon and unusual are the pleasantest of all their sensations. End of chapter 25